curious, competitive, compassionate. Salespeople are drawn to their careers in much the same way musicians are drawn to music. Once you've learned the language of sales, the beauty is in your ability to personally interpret what you've learned to suit your personality, your interest, and your skill. My name is Roger Burnett, and this is the So You're In Sales podcast, where we consider ways to grow as people as we advance in our careers and learn firsthand from those ahead of us on the path to accelerate our journey. I'm lucky to get to talk every two weeks with entrepreneurs, business owners, thought leaders, authors, and people of all walks of life, each with a unique story to share and a look at their lessons along the way. Prepare to be educated, informed, entertained, and inspired. This is the So You're In Sales Podcast. The So You're In Sales Podcast is sponsored by Social Good Promotions. Social Good Promotions was founded on the premise that any business can stand out from their competition when they are doing things they really believe in. True success these days is measured by the ways your employees feel about working for you and the ways your business is making the community a better place. Ultimately, it's about the ways you and your business will be remembered. If you're looking to grow your sales revenue while activating social good at the same time, we'll be your favorite marketing partner ever. Book a meeting with us at socialgoodpromotions.com, follow us on Instagram at sogoodpromo, and let's get connected. We've done great work using our unique and effective strategy. Let us show you how. Now, on with the show. I am delighted to introduce to you Johanna Gottlieb, the Vice President of Sales for the Midwest for Access Promotions, and I guess more importantly, a member of the 2017 Advertising Specialty Institute hot list. Welcome, Johanna. How are you? I'm great. And that hot list was a mistake, I like to tell people. It was too late to take it back, so. Well, uh, I don't know if you know this, but I was on the 2014 hot list, I think, and Uh-oh. and I sort of campaigned to get onto that thing, so if yours was by accident, mine was definitely on purpose. <laughs> nice, nice, love it. <laughs> so let's get into it. So, Joe, um, you know, you're a 12-year veteran of the industry, and boy, in 12 years, what a massive amount of change that you've seen over the yeah. course of that time period, both from a industry perspective, but I guess more importantly, and really more central to this podcast series, the discipline of sales has changed so dramatically in the last 12 years. So, you know, as, as a witness to that, um, I'll share a story with you of a recent sales call that I was on. I sat in front of a client who was evaluating vendors, and they said something that was really interesting to me, and the conversation that came as a result of it was really probably the most important part of the discussion that we had with that prospect at the moment, and and the suggestion that was made to me was that in a crowded space with many suppliers that could potentially solve a need for a, a prospect, that their problem is everyone that sits across the table from them more or less sounds the same. Yeah. And so it makes them, um, you know, suspicious, A, of why the stories sound so similar, but more importantly, it makes it very, very difficult for them when they're evaluating potential vendors to make a choice because 
There's not anything really that's separating one vendor from another for them to point to to say, this is the compelling reason why we should make this change. So knowing that that's the case, what, what's Axis? What are you guys doing to help fight that problem and differentiate the company versus perhaps the homogenous voices that you're hearing in the marketplace? Yeah, I mean, that's a great, great question. I have been hearing this a lot. We were just talking about changing up some of our PowerPoints and presentations to clients to not sound like everyone else. And I think to a point, you have to have some things that prove you can do things like everyone else. But I think it's pretty obvious we have an agency approach to how we do things. So we're really not like a here's a catalog, pick an item type of vendor, which is fine because that works for a lot of people. But we are really looking at who your target audience is, what the data behind that is, what you've done in the past, what worked, what didn't work, what your goals are. And so more becoming sort of someone that's sitting on the team with you thinking about the ideas. Um, we've been really fortunate to be able to have done so much backup work for some great firms and agencies that we can show clients that and talk about the work we've done that sort of makes them nod their head and say, that's really great. I love that. It's certainly not our industry, but we could do this. So we're showing hard examples like that a lot. Um, I think just like you said, you need to kind of be in front of your clients more often. I think email is great and a wonderful way to communicate, but just showing up and showing things and talking about case studies. Uh, I've been trying to do that more and more. I'm, again, almost 12 years into this and just in the last month, you know, summer can be slow for clients, but approaching them and saying, I know we have, we have no needs right now. You may be thinking about holiday. I don't want to come in and talk about holiday. I want to come in and show you some really great things we've done in the last few months for some other clients and no harm, no foul, not looking for an order, just FaceTime, showing them some things, uh, creating conversations that may not have been there originally. And mm. I think a lot of us are doing that more and more and that probably differentiates us because we look more like a partner, not someone that's just trying to be reactive, being more proactive over and over. Um, social helps with that a lot. Social media helps with that. It being able to share some campaigns, as I said before, it's a very a visual industry. So showing people things that we've done. Um, our clients are posting the work that we've done and sharing it and bragging about it. So we're able to repost that. Social has been a big factor in the last few years that just didn't exist when I was around when I first started rather. Boy, isn't that the truth? So what I hear and I suspect would be the case is you you guys have worked real hard to try to move yourself a little bit further up the sales cycle as opposed to being at the end when the customer has maybe already thought about their campaign and what their objectives are. And you know, traditionally we in the promotional marketing space were somewhat of an afterthought and the challenge has always been trying to get the customer to give us the opportunity to come with them upstream closer to the actual beginning of the idea as opposed to being on the tail end of things for a number of reasons. Obviously, first and foremost is to allow the supply chain that we use more opportunity to be able to help support things without it being a rush. But you know, to, to me, the underlying impact of that is by participating in those kinds of meetings further up the chain, you get a better idea of the overall organizational um, direction and you can be a lot more proactive in the things that you can bring to people if you have a better idea of where they're trying to go. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, at the end of the day, and I remind our clients of this a lot, 
I don't think there's one client that we have whose job is to buy promo. And I joke with them saying if it was, you'd probably have a lot more fun with your day. They have 85 other responsibilities, and then they forgot to order the goods for the golf event. So up front, we often ask for their schedule of events. These things are planned out. You know, I'm sure you've laughed in situations when someone said, I completely forgot I need something for next Thursday. It's like, oh, you forgot you had the mayor's ball. <laughs> so we ask a lot for their schedule of events. And sometimes they're like, oh, yeah, we'll get it to you. We'll get it to you. In the last year or so, we're having more and more clients provide us with, with that information. And then I take these schedule events, I put it into my calendar, mark the dates. Two and a half months out, I'm sending an email saying, I noticed the golf event is coming up in June. Did you want to talk about what we did last year and what we could do this year? And they're going, oh, my goodness, I completely forgot you're so right. So that's sort of like a like favor for them. Um, in addition to that, some of our larger clients were actually uh, tracking back events. So they're seeing the spend that they're spending per year. We're marketing on different areas on their sales orders what the event was for. So they can gather the information for their internal use. So it's a help for us and it's a help for them and a win for everyone. That's fantastic. That's really great. So let's let's stay on this change topic, right? So the industry has changed. The discipline of sales have changed. I suspect that in a lot of ways, the customers have changed as well. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of discussion going on now about millennials and, you know, people trying to establish what stereotypes they want to apply to that age group. But I'm guessing, I'm suspecting, you can confirm or deny it for me, but that you're seeing more of that age group in the chair doing buying. So specifically as it pertains to communication, what changes have you witnessed as the demographics of the buyer in the chair have changed? I definitely do see this change. And I, I'm not going to go down the millennial road and t- make that, this, that conversation. I actually think millennials are really hard workers and they don't get enough credit. So that's my stance, and I'll leave it at that. Amen. I think for the buyer, there was an older audience for when I was starting, and this is sort of a sidetrack conversation, but when I remember when I started, we were doing a lot of pet folios and sort of desktop items. And I would talk a lot about over the next two, three, four, five years that those things are still essential, but the pet folio is turned into the pet folio with the iPad because you want to cater to the person in the room that's going to be taking some notes. And the iPad is then, or iPad accessories then catering into the hoodie that everyone's going to be wearing in the meeting because Mark Zuckerberg wears a hoodie to work. (laughs) So it's not just your audience and the way they're buying, it's the way that they're coming to work, how they're dressing for work. Dress codes are drastically changing, so we need to cater to the t-shirt type of look or hoodie type of look. Apparel, my husband works in a a large accounting firm and they recently stopped working their dress code and now they get to wear jeans and button downs every day to work. So it's really, really changed. Um, So that aspect has changed. And then communication. I absolutely feel people don't pick up the phone a lot anymore. When you do, it's almost a surprise. I'm always sort of flabbergasted on how quickly I can get an answer from a supplier if I pick up the actual phone. And then our clients with us, the younger audiences, absolutely do want to communicate via email. I do have a lot that still pick up the phone and want to talk through campaigns and bigger needs. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would say in the last year, more and more clients want to text. Yeah. Um, I actually feel pretty strongly about this. I feel I'm really uh, responsive on email sort of because it's always at my fingertips. So it's, if you have my cell phone number, you're, I don't want to say lucky, but you have it because I gave it to you for a reason. (laughs) You're allowed to text me or call me when needed. But because I am pretty available on phone um, 
at work or email, I tend to try to stick personally to those areas. I have a few clients that do text me quite often, but the minute that that text goes out, you know that every request is going to come in that way. So know that if you are allowing someone to text you and ask for the information or quote or update on the project via text, that's going to be the norm and that's how they prefer things. And so you need to be comfortable with that. Um, recently, I've had a lot of people, including yourself, reach out to me via Facebook Messenger. Um, which is absolutely fine as well. We're friends on Facebook. We know each other socially. Um, it's not the first place I look for the message. Sometimes it'll take me a couple of minutes to get back to you. Uh, it often, often, if I don't know you, we haven't made a real connection in life or through LinkedIn, it will get lost in that lost box. So I find the best places for me are work email or um, phone. Facebook, again, is great, but I, I sort of need to know you to get that message to come through. Sure. Well, you know, the interesting thing that I've seen uh, as a best practice amongst some other distributors is in the discovery process, one of the questions that I'm seeing asked frequently of potential buyers is, how do you like to be communicated with? And I've even seen where people are starting to add that as a field in their CRM. Wow. So, that, so that if they're building campaigns one of the things that you have to be thinking about is the platform in which you want to distribute that campaign. And believe it or not, there's people who are building text-based campaigns that are building. Yeah, that's fine. I bet my opinion on this will change in five years. It... So, you know, I do have clients that I constantly snag a picture of a proven text to her because she needs, she's on the road, she needs to see it on her phone. That's fine. I bet in five years that will be way more normal for me. And I have no problem with it. I, I like texting as well, but I feel for me, just personally, professionally, I like to keep it with an email. Sure. I, well, and my opinion will change in five years. It's sort of a matter of reaching your prospect in the manner in which they're most comfortable. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So, so as we've seen the buying demographic get younger, consequently, I mean, I have, you know, three 20 year old children and each of them communicate in very different ways. My, my middle boy, we talk via Snapchat. I mean, nice. you know, but it makes it very difficult to communicate. <laughs> you have to be creative in the way that you format the information that you need to share with someone. But nonetheless, if you're an email person and I'm a text person and we don't know that, that we have this disconnect, that can cause a problem in and of itself. So even in our interviewing process now, as we're looking at uh, potential candidates to come and join the organization, it's actually sort of part of what we're asking them when we are considering them as a candidate in the organization, just so that they know that we're in tune with the fact that that's part of the things that people are potentially going to uh, fall prey to if for some reason we didn't have that conversation. So it's, a, it's dynamic. It's interesting. You know, you and I didn't really have the luxury of multiple platforms when, right. when we started in sales. It was really pretty much in person or by phone. And only with the advent of email did we see the evolution of communication. And now, geez, it's just exploded to the point where it's almost impossible to keep up with whatever is going to be the next thing that people want to be communicated with on. So yeah. it's definitely a new, a newer challenge organizationally and definitely something that I would say our listening audience should be considering when they're interviewing uh, new prospects. So again, change. So what, what about uh, from a product perspective? What, what, kind of, what kind of categories are you seeing emerging? What kind of requests are you getting that perhaps you hadn't gotten in the past? Um, you, know, you mentioned apparel, obviously, and I think we can see from 
what we see in the catalogs of the suppliers in the industry that there has definitely been a shift towards mm-hmm. not even business casual, just a more everyday kind of lifestyle apparel decision for a lot of companies. And it's interesting for me to hear that accounting, right, in a financial setting, there's sort of been the bastion of not succumbing to these things. And yet even there uh, in that industry, you're seeing that same thing. But, you know, beyond apparel, what other stuff are you seeing people ask for that might be new? I mean, I think people are always saying, you know, techie, techie, techie. And I also remind them that you can't always compete with the person that's giving away the Drake Beats or the Bose headphones. But you and, you know, we are fortunate enough to work on those projects. But the accessories are never going to stop. And we're very fortunate that Apple changes the port for the iPhone 7, which creates a whole category for headphones and the adapter for the car, which needs to have the lightning tip USB. So those types of accessories that are anywhere from 5 to $20 are really hot because it fits a lot of conference needs as well as internal needs. Um, I have to stick with apparel here. I think, again, I feel very fortunate that we're able to work with clients on projects that are not just the polo with the front left chest embroidery. We're able to do the Marmon jacket with custom zipper pull or back neck embroidery, uh, tone on tone on the sleeve. So clients don't come a lot to you saying I need this jacket with this cool applique we're going to them showing them how if you open up the jacket you have the woven label on the inside that is a way of decorating and they love it and want to go for it I feel you have to bring those projects to clients because they're not automatically thinking about that they're thinking front left chest front left chest front left chest for sure and you know we uh, we've had a lot of discussion internally clearly from my perspective the tech category is hopefully yeah. going to continue to be very uh, hot given what we do for a living on the supplier side. So yeah, <laughs> definitely we'll keep our fingers crossed. But uh, the, the discussion that we've been having is this notion of the brands that you carry are a representation of your personality in a lot of ways. So if I wear a polo shirt I'm sort of saying implicitly that I endorse Ralph Lauren by virtue of my desire to wear that label. And if you look at all of the labels that comprise what you have from your car to the phone case that you use, I mean, there's to the coffee that you drink, there's, there's a litany of choices. But really, if you think about it, like Roger Burnett, if, if you were to list me as on a sheet of paper, I I could tell you the brands that are the ones that I most closely identify with. And it's understanding that from the buyer's perspective, in addition to alternative decoration techniques, new and emerging products, right? It's, It's getting an understanding of sort of how does that individual buyer perceive themselves within the framework of the brands that they're interacting with. And in a lot of ways, that information can help inform what you might bring to them from a product perspective, because you've taken the time to really understand what they like and what they don't like. And And I I don't see a lot of people doing that. I I agree with you. But the bigger challenge there as well is that you're talking about this one buyer who has to cater for the 200 people that they're buying for. And that person likes the zip up and that other person likes the pullover. So you have a lot of those sort of like roads to navigate there. Well, and the worst part of it is if you let the buyer make what, you believe to be a questionable choice and it blows up in their face, a lot of times they feel like you're at fault. So that's a great point. And I've mentioned this before on other podcasts. We are really honest with our clients about our opinions. And I sort of say it up front when I meet with you. It's not like a, I'm a New Yorker, I'm a right, I'm right type of thing. 
that, that was a fake accident. I'm like, <laughs> uh, we don't want to say we're right and you're wrong, but we like to give our opinions because sometimes we sort of feel like if you can hear about the experiences we've had before with other clients and what we feel is best for you, take it for what it's worth. You know, there's a lot to be said for someone that's been in the industry for 25 years or a company has been around for 25 years. So a lot of times they're looking for us for that opinion. I don't want to say always, but they are looking for our opinion on it. Completely agree. As a matter of fact, I wrote a piece a while back and it's called TikTok. I thought you were an expert. And the idea is, you know, (laughs) consultative selling, you know, a lot of sales training still is based in consultative selling where you ask a lot of discovery questions. And I think that if there's an advantage that experience gives you, it's being able to compress that discovery cycle to the point where I feel like our objective really is to try to quickly determine which client or vertical market does the prospect look most like and what information can I share with them about the other clients that I've had that look most like that. And by compressing that cycle, you're demonstrating your expertise and showing to them that you have credibility because you've done business in that same environment in the past which lends itself to them thinking that you have that credibility. And secondarily, if they see you as an expert and you have solutions that are tried and true and you have those case studies to be able to point to, I'm not going to say that that eliminates the price discussion, but it certainly makes it a little bit less about price and more about you bringing them things that they can feel confident are going to work for them because they've worked in the past. Right. And it's not just before going to project mode. It's, you know, even improving mode when a supplier comes to us with a pen and says, we did your art option B, we made it larger, we put it on the second side of the cliff and the client had wanted it option A. We don't just say, here's your proofs, pick one. Here's your proofs. I actually, I always say, I actually like what the supplier did here. I think they got a little creative. What do you think? And a lot of times they're like, I'm so glad you gave us your opinion because you sort of know they're going to come back to you and say, anyway, what do you think? So why not be proactive and say, here's what I think. Again, we see this way more than they do. So sort of make sure that they know that you're the expert. Well, I'm hoping that you're going to say that this is the right thing for me to do. But what we've taken to doing lately is if you submit a request for a quote to me, whatever product it is that you are asking for, I'm giving you three or four complimentary products to go along with it. So, so as long as the buyer has an open mind, a lot of time, we, and the reason we did this is we saw a lot of times people would come back to us with a secondary request from the same customer that the original quote was meant for. Why not compress that process and put three or four more things in front of that person? And really, I'm putting it in front of you and, and allowing you to determine whether or not I've made good choices or not. But what we're doing is we're accelerating the process. And again, what we're thinking is happening is that we're lending some of our credibility to you in then what you're going to pass on to the customer. Because, you you know, it's almost like on Amazon, right, when they say customers who looked at this also looked at these other things. And I always look at that stuff at the bottom, right, because I'm curious to know, am I on the right track? Is there something better that I'm not smart enough to know about. So why not take advantage of the expertise of the people who are actually dealing with the stuff on a day in and day out basis. So that's the way I look at it. So that kind of leads me into a couple of our bonus questions. I'm going to start with the industry one first. 
So Joe, you know, branded logistics is relatively new to the promotional products industry. So the question that I've been, (laughs) but the question that I've been asking of distributors is if a brand new supplier was to enter the marketplace today, what would sort of be in your mind, the table stakes that would be necessary? Like if you don't, if you can't do these things, then don't bother calling me. This is going to sound so basic, but it's embarrassing on how many suppliers really need to work on this. If you don't have a great website, see ya. So we have to source product and look at products all the time to present to our clients. If I can't send my client to a respectable website or pull a product to put into a presentation, it's so painful. And so have a great website. And I'm not saying that's a cheap investment or not worth a lot, you know, a lot of time because I'm aware of those things, but have a great website. It tells such a great story, right? If you don't have a place for someone to go and learn more about you and what I might be able to provide, it's probably not real likely. Now, I will admit that our website sucks. But what I do have the advantage of is I'm using my partners that I'm representing in the marketplace and their websites, which are very good, to tell the product story and their marketing departments do a great job of providing us all of the tools that we need. But I will definitely keep that in mind as we are looking at our website redesign right now that Joe says it's very important for us to make sure we have it right. Have a good website and listen. I don't, I think that sounds so easy. Just listen to what your clients need. Focus on working with a core number of people versus everyone. Not everyone's going to be right for you. Just like not not on the people that you think will be able to sell your product and sell it well and be your true partner. Um, if you come to me and talk to, want to talk to have a strategic call about my top 10 accounts and I hand over that list to you and we talk about logos, I can't tell you how many times I've had these conversations and then they, a minute, uh, meeting finishes and they say, send me the logos, we'll work some things up. And so I'll just use an example. It's not my account, but Coca-Cola, right? What, what color is Coca-Cola? It has a very specific, very specific PMS red, but I don't know the number. It's a red. It's a red. And everyone knows that. My daughter knows that. And so if a vendor asks me about our client and what they can do for us and wants to put together those proactive virtuals and do all those great things, and then comes back to me with a deck of ideas for Coca-Cola and purple, <laughs> I'm, it's frustrating. It's a waste of time for them. It's a waste of time for us. I will go as far to share with you visuals of the last three years of work we've done with a client just to show the charges we've done and the backpacks we've done and the bicycle we did. And then they come back to me with a $2 pen. It's like, you need to do the research. I'm giving you a lot of information about a client that is great for me. We could work together well. Just listen to what I'm telling you and what we could work on and the potential because we could all be way proactive, but just sort of do the research behind the brand. And I feel a lot of times we're giving a lot of information, but not getting that same return. Yeah, that's definitely true. And my time as a distributor only reinforces what you're saying. It's enormously frustrating and time is our most precious resource. And if it's been wasted, it it feels 10 times worse than uh, had you not done anything at all. So I, I totally get that. All right. Well, we're down to the last one, the bonus question. And I'm dying to hear your answer on this one. So I've been put in the fortunate position to be able to arrange an introduction for you to anyone in the whole wide world. 
Yeah, this didn't take much for me to think about. Um, it would absolutely be my father's mother, who I never met. She passed when he was very young. And my mother's father, who passed in Cuba after she came here. Um, so it's actually a very, it's a hard conversation to have now because my grandmother's sick on my mother's side. And I look at her now. I see her being choked up. So it would absolutely be my, my father's mother. I think my mother's father. I think based on our conversation before we started recording that uh, your answer is very poignant to me and I completely understand where you're coming from. Awesome. <laughs> well, I won't cry. I won't cry. Ah, <laughs> uh, good, good. We well, although Charlie cried in the last episode, so Okay, there's a deal. <laughs> so, maybe maybe this is going to be my thing. I'm going to be able to get my subjects to all cry for me. That that would be something. Hashtag cry with Roger. <laughs> and on that note, I will say, Joe, thanks so much for spending the time with us. Uh, it was really, really informational, and I'm sure that the audience will be uh, excited to hear what you have to share. Such an honor. Thank you for inviting me. You're going to be great in this new role, and we're all excited to have you back. Yeah, I'm excited to be back. It's a lot of fun, and my face often is sore from smiling from all of the goodwill that I get from people who I'm reconnecting with, you included. Awesome. All right. Well, that's the latest episode of So You're in Sales. My name is Roger, and we will talk to you again.